found the CWCCS podcast with Bible teaching from Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs and Pastor Al Pittman. Today we're in the book of John chapter 13 as Pastor Al takes a deep dive look at what it means to truly serve. Let's go now to Pastor Al. We are in John chapter 13 tonight. If you have a Bible with you, I've entitled this message, Serve One Another. And we'll be looking at verses 1 to 17. Let me ask you a question. If you knew that tonight would be your last night, what sort of instructions would you leave for your loved ones? Jesus, on the night before his betrayal, left many instructions for his disciples. And in the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter, I thought it uh, would be good for us to focus on just two of his instructions. The instructions of our Lord to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. And I believe that these two instructions are essential to the edification and secondly, the hope of the church. So tonight, we will consider the first part of the Lord's instruction, or the uh, first of those two instructions, that is, has to do with the edification of the church, basically serving one another. And so we begin here in John chapter 13, and read, I'm going to read down to verse 5, and read along with me as we get into the Word, and, and on this night Jesus does something just totally bizarre according to uh, human reasoning. But he's teaching us all a very important lesson for the edification of the body of Christ. In verse 1, the Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his, his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, did something totally weird, (laughs) according to human reasoning. He rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. Verse 5, And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. It says here that before the Feast of Passover, just a little explanation here, and I won't go too deep into it, but According to Luke chapter 22 verses 7 to 13 and of course the gospel of Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. We know that Jesus uh, ate the Passover, the paschal paschal meal with his disciples. And of course John says here before Passover and really what he's implying here is conveying here is that Jesus before that is in conjunction, the conjunction with the Passover uh, meal, he began to wash the disciples' feet. In fact, verse 2 says, and supper being ended. Literally, uh, before supper ended, toward the end of the supper, Jesus got up while they were still kind of finishing up 
and began to wash the disciples' feet. So it's not the idea that before Passover, before Passover came, but he was actually uh, partaking of the Passover meal with them. In verse 1, note that, uh, that Jesus knew three things, actually. Uh, verse 1 and the verses following. Number one was his purpose. He knew that it was his hour. What hour was that? Well, John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, the first part of verse 28, says, Now Jesus said there that now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What was he talking about? He was talking about his death on the cross. He came to this very hour. He knew his purpose. He came to die to pay in full our penalty, my penalty, your penalty for our sins. The hour had come. Three years of ministry and now the hour had come. And, he, and his expression here, I mean, uh, not his expression, but his, what he says here is profound. You know, shall I say, Lord, deliver me from this? And I was thinking about that as believers, you know, there's persecution many times over the things that we believe in and following Jesus Christ. Should we say, Lord, deliver us? Deliver us, Lord, from the persecution that we face in this day and this time. For this very hour we have come to because we are walking with Jesus Christ. And those who live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer what? Persecution, the Bible says. So it's not so much, Lord, deliver us as it is, Lord, give us strength to do your will. Amen? So he knew his purpose. Another thing Jesus knew is that he knew his destiny. Christ went to the Father on our behalf. His destiny was to go to the Father. And he would go to the Father to atone, again, to pay in full our debt, the debt for our sins, by his own blood. I love what the book of Hebrews says. The book of Hebrews is written for Hebrews, that is, Jew, the Jews. And so if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 12 to 14, and read along with me uh, what the writer of Hebrews says. Amen. Chapter 9, beginning at verse 12. And it says there, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, speaking of Jesus, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats... And the ashes of a heifer sprinkled in sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the from dead works to serve the living God? And what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here and the Jews understood this back in that day and even today. The sacrifices at the temple were being offered and the blood of bulls and goats would be offered for uh, the, the atonement of the people. And then the ashes of a heifer. If you go back to the book of uh, Numbers chapter 19, if you're taking notes, Numbers chapter 19 verses 14 to 17 talks about this, this uh, sacrament, if you will, that they would take the uh, heifer and they would sacrifice this heifer 
uh, on the altar and they would take the ashes of the, this, this heifer and put it in a bowl and it would mix water with it. And then they would take a hyssop branch, uh, a, a, uh, a branch that had a lot of, uh, it's a hyssop, amen. <laughs> but it was, uh, had a, it, I wish I had a picture of it, show it to you. But it, it was kind of like, it looked like a tumbleweed kind of, you know, at the end of it. But they could dip it into that water and they would sprinkle people who were unclean. They sprinkled those who had been contaminated maybe touching a dead body. You could not go up to the temple after you had someone had died in your home or whatever, you touched a dead body. You couldn't go up to the temple. You had to be ceremonially cleansed. And they would take the ashes of the heifer, mix with water, dip the hyssop in there, uh, branch in there, and then they would, you know, sprinkle people like that. It was a ceremonial thing. And so the writer of Hebrews, and Hebrews know this, us Gentiles, we're like, what's he talking about? But they understood that that's what he was talking about, that if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer can cleanse people temporarily from that which is death, how much more the blood of Jesus can cleanse your conscience from every dead word. Amen? And so what Jesus did, when it says there, when I, this point that he made, he said that I'm going to the Father, he went to the Father and to the temple in heaven. You know, there's a temple, there's a temple here on earth that's been destroyed, but the temple in heaven is still there. He went into the sanctuary in heaven and presented his own blood on your behalf and my behalf for our atonement. And it was acceptable in the sight of God. See, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament were leading up to a point. We're pointing to the sacrifices, the sacrifice Jesus would make on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, remember, the Bible says there is no forgiveness of sin. So the writer of Hebrews was talking about the ceremonies and sacrifices. The people, the Jews get, got it. They understood that he, what he was talking about. But that's what Jesus was going to the Father for. Not to just kind of kick back, you know, on a lazy boy or something. He went there to present his blood for our atonement. Aren't you glad about that tonight? The third thing that Christ, coming back from the book of Hebrews, uh, but the third thing that Christ knew is that he knew his authority. The Bible says in verse 3 that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from, the, from God and was going to God. He knew his authority on that night. So Jesus knew his purpose. He knew uh, his destiny to go to the Father on our behalf. And he also knew his authority. Uh, there is an underlying lesson here for us, and that is, in Christ, knowing our purpose, knowing our destiny, you know, and for our lives, uh, our purpose is lay our lives down for Jesus, knowing our destiny, our destiny is glory, to be with the Father, amen, and uh, if we know those two things, then we should walk in authority. Notice Jesus' purpose, his destiny He's walking in authority. And the same thing with us as believers. If we know our purpose, we know why we're here, to lay our lives down for Christ, to glorify the Lord, and we know our destiny that we're going to heaven, we should be walking in authority. Amen? You would think. But, but notice, this authority uh, is not authority to abuse, but authority to edify another person. To edify, in the context of the church, one another. And Jesus knew he knew his purpose, his destiny, that he had full authority. Put yourself in the shoes of Jesus. What would your attitude be on Monday morning you walked into work, knowing your purpose, your destiny, and having all authority placed in your hands? Power. Would you, like, fire everybody? <laughs> would you have, you know, you know uh, hey, you know, we need you to go back in the back to do that. I'm not doing nothing. 
I have all power and authority, you know. What would your attitude be like? Look at the attitude of our Lord. Listen, are you getting this? I know you're probably still shaken up by driving in tonight, but listen. He has a purpose, he has destiny, and he has all authority and place and power placed in his hand. And what does he do? It's shocking, really, to us as human beings what he does here. But if love, if love is the commander of our purpose and our destiny, it will also govern our authority to be used to edify someone else rather than to demean other people. Powers, you know, absolute power, absolutely what? Corrupts. Power is a scary thing in the hands of unredeemed carnal mankind. But power in the hands of love. And Jesus loved his disciples. Verse 1 says that he loved them to the very end. Pride rises up to get even. Love rises up to serve. Jesus rose up. That was love personified. And what does he do? He didn't slap the guys around. He served them. It's comforting, excuse me, it's comforting to know that Jesus will love us to the end as well. Aren't you glad about that? I know some believers have believed the lie of the enemy. They said that God stopped loving you. They stopped coming to church. They feel unloved. Maybe somebody watching online or maybe you're here tonight and you've struggled with that. He loved them to the end. See, anyone can love you in the beginning. But real love loves to the end. And Jesus loves us to the end. Romans chapter 8, many of you know it, 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor snowstorms, amen nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you glad about that? God's willingness, his willingness to love us through it all. He loves you through it all. Persuades us that his love will be there in the very end. That the Lord still loves me. He's persuaded me in all these years that I've lived that his love will definitely be there in the end. It's a proven love. To give you a better picture of the scene here that we're reading about in John 13, many of you who study scripture have heard this before, but some people have not. And sometimes we look at the portrait of the Last Supper, and they're all sitting at European, European, uh, a European table and European chairs and, and all of that. And, you know, it's, it's a nice little portrait, but it's totally false. When they were eating the Passover meal, and to give you an idea what Jesus had to do, uh, they were reclining on couches, large pillows. The food's in the center, and there would be pillows all around the food, and they would be around it. And they would be reclining. It's kind of a neat way to eat, man. That'd be cool. You know, leaning on the pillow and just reaching over, grabbing a, you know. They wouldn't be grabbing ribs or anything. But anyway, be grabbing, you know, just saying. They'd have kosher food. But 
you know, reaching over and they were reclining and reaching and eating and, you know, all of that. And so it was pillows around a table that was containing the food. And, uh, you know, the upper body would be facing the food. And, of course, their feet would be out, out sticking out. And so Jesus got up and went out to the outer circle where there's, you, you, nobody wants to eat next to the feet, right? Where all their feet are pointing outward. He got up and started, went out there, put on, uh, took off his garment, put on a, filled a basin with water, put on a towel, and began to wash your feet on the outside. The act that he was committing here was, was really that of a slave. In biblical times, when someone came to your house and everybody was wearing sandals, your feet would get a little dirty. And so it was hospitable for people in that day Someone comes to your house to offer them some water so they could wash their feet. Not they wash their feet. They would actually have a slave, sometimes a child, sometimes a wife. would be the one appointed to wash the feet of the guest. And Abraham actually did this in Genesis chapter 18, verse 4. Again, if you're taking notes, you can go back and read that. When the three visitors showed up to visit Abraham, and Abraham was sitting in front of his tent, and these three strangers showed up, one was what is called scripture, or theologians call a theophany. It was the appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, the other two were angels. And uh, Abraham offered them water, you know, to wash their feet at that time. So it was a, it was a tradition uh, uh, back in the Old Testament, and of course, even in the time of Christ. And um, the picture here is again, love personified, rose toward the end of this dinner. They were still kind of eating. Jesus gets up and goes out to the outer circle and begins to wash the feet. He takes the position of a slave. Now this is our Lord. The one who holds the universe in the span of his hand. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he gets up and he begins to wash his feet. It was a servile act. What's servile mean? As servile it means having or showing an excessive willingness to serve or please others. It wasn't to please himself. It was to serve them. He washed their feet not with an attitude of contempt, but compassion. Now sometimes we serve with an attitude of contempt. You know how it is. You go home, your wife says, you know, you're tired. And she says, hey, take the trash out. <sighs> you know, stomping out the door, slamming the bag. In the... None of you do that. Okay, all right, just me. Um, <laughs> but um, it wasn't contempt. He didn't have an attitude of contempt, but compassion. And his contempt could have been justified, for he was washing the feet of those who were often contentious. These same disciples used to argue about who was the greatest, causing contention in the ranks. He was washing the feet of those uh, who doubted him. They didn't really know who Jesus was. They wondered, who is this who commands the wind and the waves of the sea? He was washing the feet of those who had malicious intent Toward the very people that Jesus came to die for. The sons of thunder, James and John, wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy people. He was washing 
the feet of the one who would betray him. Only imagine what Jesus thought when he got to Judas. You know he was there that night. And he washed his feet. He washed the feet of one who would betray him. But here's the truth. Jesus is still washing the same feet in his church today. The contentious, the doubters, the, those with malicious intent, those who have betrayed him. And he still comes to the assembly of God's people and washes their feet. And then he calls us to go wash the feet of those who are in the world. I really believe that if we're going to see change in the church and outside the church, it requires people, believers, who will follow the Lord's example. One of the pastors was sharing this with me before, the, you know, when we are praying before the service tonight. And Luis Palau, some of you may recognize the name, uh, he was the Billy Graham of Latin America. Uh, in fact, years ago, he did a crusade here at Penrose Stadium uh, back in the 80s, I believe. It had to be in the 80s. And I was playing with a Christian band, and our Christian band, you know, played at the crusade that he was preaching at. And a wonderful man of God. But he just recently passed away. The Billy Graham of Latin America. And one of the pastors was sharing with me that in Portland, that his son, um, along with some other evangelicals, went to the uh, mayor of Portland. And the mayor of Portland was in, is an openly gay individual. And rather than, you know, take a posture against him, they went and offered their help and said, however we can help in the city, let us know. And the church. And, of course, they had some projects, and he would call them, and they would respond, and they helped him so much that even when he got in some political trouble, guess who he called? The evangelicals. And I thought, what a great picture. You see, if, if, if you can't get past the fact that the man is gay, then you don't understand what Jesus is doing here. Amen. If you're stuck on that, something's wrong with your theology. Because Jesus loved those who were lost. And if we're going to reach the people Jesus died for, it's not going to be through hatred and opposition. It's going to be by washing their feet. And because they did that, they had an inroad into the mayor's office in Portland. I believe if we're going to be effective that we have to do that today. Be known for what you stand for, not for what you stand against. Now, yeah, if the truth, if, if someone asks you to speak the truth in love, amen? Don't get me wrong, you always speak the truth in love. But we've got to, we are called, Jesus washes our feet, that we may wash the feet of others. Amen? I'll be honest with you, I don't think a lot of Christians get that. We're so divided and so fragmented, I don't think people really understand what Jesus is doing. And we'll see here in a moment. 
There's definitely one who didn't understand. His name is Peter. Amen. In verses 6 to 11, we find three essential, what I call essential characteristics of kingdom servitude. We're talking about being a servant in the kingdom. We're talking about edifying one another in Christ. We begin here at verse 6. When the Bible says, it gets a little interesting. He finally gets around to Peter. And it says, then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never. How many of you said never to the Lord? (laughs) You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not just my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Just overreaction. (laughs) But Jesus said something interesting here. He says, he says to him, uh, he who is bathed (laughs) needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew. Who would betray him. Therefore he said. You are not all clean. Three essential characteristics of. Kingdom servitude. The first one is faith. The first one is faith. Verses 6 and 7. Of course Jesus said in verse 7. You don't understand what I'm doing right now. But you will later on. You will later on. If I'm going to serve the Lord. It requires obedience. I don't serve because I understand everything. It's because of faith. Obedience to God. God thinks outside of our box. You believe that? He thinks outside of your limited, our limited, cognitive, intellectual capacity. (laughs) That's where God's operating. What we do not understand now. Faith reveals later. There are things that the Lord is doing in your life right now. You don't understand it, but later on, you'll understand. By and by. Amen? You'll understand. But you're obedient now because you're trusting the Lord. Peter wasn't getting this. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, concerning the ways of the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, the Lord says. Like Peter, we often object to the things that we cannot understand. But the reality is that God doesn't waste time explaining them to us because we'd never get it anyway. We need faith. Not only to receive, but also to serve. It takes faith to serve when you don't feel like serving. How many of you have you had that, you know, felt that way? You felt like, I don't feel like serving. Well, I don't feel like, thank God we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. Peter wasn't feeling it. But Jesus was asking him to respond by faith. Jesus served Peter in full assurance of his father's ability to accomplish his own will. 
Because a lot of times what we do is we want to serve or, or, you know, receive from the Lord or what have you. Uh, but, Lord, if I understand the outcome. Listen, when we serve, it takes faith to serve other people. It takes faith to serve people who treat you bad. It takes faith to serve people who don't respond to your kindness. And sometimes we want to understand, Lord, how long I got to do it? Uh, are they going to respond the right way? They don't respond the right way. But the reality is that it takes faith to serve and then to leave the outcome in the hands of God. I don't have to control the outcome. And Jesus was serving in that manner. He's saying, you know what? I'm doing this because that was the will of his father. He wasn't doing it with contempt, or, but with compassion. And he came to Peter and Peter, rather than receiving what the Lord was doing, he resisted the Lord at first. So it takes faith to serve. The second essential characteristic of, of kingdom, what I call kingdom servitude, is God's reverse leadership paradigm. You know, there's a reverse leadership paradigm that Jesus is modeling here for us in verse 8. In verse 8, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Why? Because to Peter, Jesus washing his feet offended everything he knew about leadership. Everything he knew about leadership. Leadership in the world is top down. Leadership in the kingdom of God is bottom up. You know that? We want to get to the top so we can tell everybody what to do. But the Lord, the king of kings. I, I know our minds aren't around us because if we can not get around us because if we did, we'd be going, woo-hoo, we'd be, there'd be a lot of hollering going on in here, Amen. That the king of kings, the Lord of lords, took off his garment and washed the nasty feet of the disciples. What is going on here? And that's why Peter said, you're not going to, are you going, you're going to wash my feet? You're the man. You're at the top. No. Servitude in the kingdom of God is from the bottom up. You want to be a blessing to your family? Serve your family. You want to be a blessing to the church? What do you guys do? What kind of programs you got here? What do you guys do here? What do you offer? That's, that's consumerism. It's not Christianity. You show up to serve. How can I serve? Amen. That, that's offensive to a lot of Christians. You know, we've just got Christian Disneyland now where, you know, they've got better coffee over at this place. And that's why I'm going to go to church, you know, or they've got a better this or better that. Is that the reason why we're going? We should be going as servants of the Most High God. This is what Jesus is demonstrating here. And he says, and, and it's a reverse triangle. It's, it's the you know, triangle, you're here, and you know, kind of the triangle thing. The Lord turned it upside down. And the, the point of the triangle is at the bottom. You serve those who are in authority. You serve others. In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, he said, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. You take that mentality to work and watch things change. Now, people will be saying, oh, you're just kissing up. No, I'm serving the king. 
I'm serving the Lord. If you desire to be first, to be promoted, then let him be your slave. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Wow. If the Lord came to serve and not be served, then what should we, we be doing? You see it a lot even in ministry. Sometimes, you know, the pastor, oh, he's a pastor. I'll never forget, this is some time ago, I was upstairs emptying the trash out of one of the trash cans. And there was a sister here like, you're doing that? I can't believe a pastor would do Like, what? You should watch me at home. I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> Empty the trash all the time. But it's like it was shocking to her because she came out of a culture and church where pastors never, they're to be served. No, Jesus said you're to serve others. You can clean a toilet. You can take the trash out. Amen. That's what servants do. It's what slaves, bond servants of Jesus Christ do. But we have this attitude in, in, in the churches today where the church is supposed to serve me. What do you have to offer me? What's in it for me? That's not what Jesus is modeling here. And you think about it, servitude affects our altitude in the kingdom of God. It affects your attitude as well. Because those who, Jesus said, will humble themselves will be exalted. And those who exalt themselves, Jesus said, will we'll bring you down a peg or two. The third thing that I find here, that a characteristic of kingdom servitude, is... <laughs> Washability, verses 8, the latter part of verse 8, Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash me. You'll never pardon me. You can have no part with me. An unwashable, or an unwashed, I should say, an unwashed believer is a disqualified believer. Someone who does not allow Jesus to wash their feet. They're an unqualified believer without a sense of destiny. And Jesus said, you will have no part with me. That the Greek word for part is meros, and it means allotment or destiny. You don't know where you're going unless you meet with Jesus on a daily basis and allow him to wash your feet. As an analogy, Christ washing our feet is an act of submission to the Spirit's examination. Amen. And we need the Lord's daily examination. I don't know about you. I, I need God's examination every day. I know we get busy. I know there's, oh, I got stuff to do. Oh, I got, I got it. But you, before you go to bed, when you get up in the morning, you need to go before the Lord and, and, and spend time with him and let him examine your motives, examine your mind and your heart. We need the Lord's daily examination so that we can partner with him. Because his examination is thorough, and our examination, I don't care how humble you think you are, is always biased. Amen? Kind of like when our kids, and even when I was a little kid, you know, mom said, go in there and uh, take a bath, you know. You know you took a bath. Jumped in the water and jumped out. Boy, did you even use any soap, <laughs> you know. 
And I think sometimes as Christians, we do that. You know, it's like, you know what? Lord says, you know, come under his examination. And we go in there to sort of speak, to, to be washed and to, be, to have Jesus wash our feet. And we don't even allow him to use any soap. We just kind of take a little dip and go, I'm good. And sometimes we come to church and church is like a little dip. You know, boom, you know, kind of a little splash and jump up and say, I'm good. The Lord says, no, that's bias. You didn't even use soap. You didn't let the Holy Spirit wash you. <laughs> you didn't apply the Spirit of God. Let the Holy Spirit examine your mind. Let the Holy Spirit examine your heart. Thus, David understood this. And so he said, because he knew he was biased, he said in Psalm 139, Lord, search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties or my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Because I can examine myself and I feel like, yeah, I'm good. But I didn't use any soap. <laughs> I didn't come under the Lord's examination. I came under my own. But when I exposed myself to the Lord, and he will search me and he will show me the truth. Oftentimes in my own Christian life, I realize that when I don't think I need my feet washed, it's probably when I need them washed the most. <laughs> when I think I'm all good and, you know, I don't know what's wrong with those people, but look at me, I'm doing great, you know. That's usually my, my own self-righteousness I need to have my feet washed to. Search me, O oh Lord. Because a lot of times I think I'm right and I'm wrong. Try me and know my thoughts. In verses 9 to 11, Peter overreacts as usual. And the Lord's response, he really reveals here that what I call, the, I don't call it, theologians call it the doctrine of, doctrine of sanctification. If I cannot wash you, you have no part in me. What is sanctification? It's, it means to, to make or to be holy, to be made holy. And sanctification is, is it's a process. It's a process of becoming like our daddy, our heavenly father, becoming like God. First Peter chapter 1, Peter would later write and say, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And sometimes we hear that, we think of these, you know, we get this legalistic picture in our, in our minds. But he says, Be holy, for I am holy. Be like your daddy. Be like your father. Remember, Jesus said to love those who love you, then you haven't done anything but to love those who hate you and who use you. Now you're being like your daddy, your father in heaven. And the Bible says in Hebrews that he disciplines us, that we might be a partaker with him in his holiness. That we might be like our father. That's why he disciplines us, because he wants us with him. So be holy as he is holy. The good news is that the process of sanctification, the daily washing, if you will, of our feet, is absent, uh, absent of any condemnation. God's correction is always with love. It's always with love. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, we're in the process, no one has arrived, are all of one. We're one with the Lord. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. The Lord is not ashamed of you while you're in the process of him correcting us, building us up, loving us. He's not ashamed of us. No condemnation with God's correction. Amen. He disciplines those that he loves. 
Amen. If God has spanked you behind lately, you ought to be saying, praise God. <laughs> because he disciplines us because he loves us. Amen. In verses 10 and 11, notice Jesus knows those who belong to him. He says there in verse 10, Jesus said, you know, uh, that if you've been cleansed, that means you've been born again. You don't need to, to wash yourself all over again, but to only have your feet washed. You are cleansed. And he says, but not all of you. He's talking about being born again. The process of sanctification that I'm born again, I don't need to be reborn again. But when I go to the Lord and extend my life before him and say, God, search me, you know, wash my feet, metaphorically speaking. You know, then what I'm basically saying uh, to the Lord is that, you know what, uh, I'm born again, I belong to you. But Lord, I've, my feet have gone in places where I've picked up attitudes and even spirits that do not edify or, or, or glorify you. And so, Lord, I need you to search me and to wash me, to cleanse me. But you don't need to be born again again. You know, when I first became was a Christian, I used to get born again again every week. And once you've been born again, you're born again. But Jesus said, you know what, you're, all, you're already cleansed. But, you don't worry. but not all of you. He was speaking about Judas. Because Judas was not born again. It is possible to be in the assembly. And Judas is at the dinner, Passover dinner. Passover is about the Passover, you know, in the time of when Israel was in Egypt. And, and they... they took a, an innocent lamb and, and uh, uh, sacrificed the lamb. I took the blood of that lamb and sprinkled it with hyssop on the doorpost. And, and when the angel of death, if you will, or God came through uh, the land of Egypt and he saw the blood, he would pass over that house. That house would not suffer judgment. And the blood of Jesus applied to us, if you will, the doorposts of our lives. So when we stand before God, the judgment of God is not for us. It passes over us. It was Passover. There, Judas is celebrating a historical event, that historical event with Jesus, enjoying the meal together and all. And uh, yet, you know, he's, he's uh, uh, listening to the devil in the very assembly. Uh, they're sitting with Jesus, not, not just an assembly, but at a dinner, a meal with the Lord. And it just tells me here that it is possible to be in the assembly of the Lord and to be impregnated, if you will, with the double seed, his thoughts, his attitudes and concerns. In verse 2, the Bible says, we already read it, but it tells us there, and supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Christ. Right there in the middle of the meal. I know people sat right in service. Because I know it happened to me when I was sitting in service and a young Christian come up. You know, you get the most wicked thoughts sitting in service. The devil puts, plants that seed for you to act on it later. And of course, we continue to read through the, uh, John 13. We know that Judas went out to betray uh, the Lord. But sitting right there, and, and even as I'm speaking tonight, the devil's plant, trying to plant a seed or something that may be in your thoughts for you to act on it later when you get home. We have to be careful. And we must repent. Well, that seed, that thought, instead of rebuking it and let it pass through, can come to fruition unless we repent. Say, God, this is not from you. 
I'm not going to receive that. Those who truly belong to Jesus really have a respect for his word and they obey him, they follow him. That wasn't Judas. Jesus knew that he was not with him. That he was with him, rather, but he was not of him. Amen. The Lord said in John chapter 10, verse 27, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You don't have to intimidate people or force people to come to church or beat them up or say bad things about them. If you've got to do that to motivate people, and sometimes pastors, again, have been guilty for doing that, saying things that make you know, people feel bad so they'll come to church. You know, if, no. My sheep, they hear my voice. They, they know my voice. And when they hear my voice, they follow me. You don't have to drag them. They're my sheep. And they follow me. He's talking to someone the other day about uh, the, uh, they had gone to Israel. And, you know, when we were there, also we saw the shepherd fields. And David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he leads me beside green pastures and still waters. He restores my soul. And you really get the picture of what David is saying, because he was a shepherd there in Bethlehem, of how, indeed, the sheep could hear the uh, shepherd's voice. They knew the shepherd's voice. And uh, Jesus used the analogies and, all that, and, and, and uh, illustrations that they could relate to. And uh, this friend was sharing it, how they were um, uh, watching these shepherds on the side of a hill. And, it, you know, we, we, we think about sheep, you think about those little white puffy things and green pastures. You know, that's England. That's not Israel. The sheep are not all white. There are a lot of brown ones and whatever. And he's watching this, this shepherd walking in front of the sheep. The sheep were following him. And when he stopped, the sheep stopped. And they were going out to a place to water the sheep, but uh, uh, there was somebody else already there with their sheep. So when they left, then the sheep followed him down, down to that place, leading us, leads us by still waters. But the, the, the thing that really struck me when I saw the shepherd fields in Bethlehem is that it's not this green rolling hills like you would think in England or whatever, these little white puffy sheep, you know, these little brown looking sheep, sheep look kind of road hard and put up wet or something. They're pretty, they're pretty ugly, actually. It's like you know, nasty things. Anyway, uh, but there were, there's clumps and patches of grass, not, you know, uh, total, you know, yards of it, just clumps. And so the, the shepherd knows where the, the grass is. And so when he speaks to the sheep, he calls them, he knows them by name. And they follow him to the, where the green pasture is. Now in between this green pasture and the next, there's all this dirt and rocks and everything else and stones. And so then when he leads them to the next green pasture, and they follow him. And so when David said, he leads me besides still water, he leads me the green pastures. You see why? Because my sheep they know my voice and they follow me. You don't have to force sheep to follow the shepherd because they know what's good for them. Amen. Judas was not one of those sheep. He was following another shepherd. A way that seemed right unto man, but it leads to disaster. But those who are the sheep of the Lord... They obey his voice and they follow him. The conclusion that I want to leave you with tonight is simply this. The example of our Lord is one that we should follow. 
Because Jesus, after school was out, so to speak, after this lesson, he said this. The Bible says, so in verse 12, so when he had washed the feet, their feet, and taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and also, and you also rather, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Two thoughts there. Number one is that Refusal to serve is really to see ourselves, to think of ourselves more highly than Jesus. He said, if I, your teacher, your Lord, you say I'm your teacher, your Lord, we call him Lord, oh, your Lord. And then the Lord says, go serve somebody. We go, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Oh, you're better than me. If he was willing to do it, how much more should I be willing to do it? I didn't say it would be easy. I say you wouldn't, you didn't get your feelings hurt. But if Jesus did it and we call him Lord, is he really Lord? And he left that to us, what he did here, as an example for us to follow. That's why I say it's crucial today if we're going to reach the world or we're going to edify Calvary Worship Center that we learn to be a servant like Jesus. Here's the second thing he says. If you know this and you do it, Blessed are you. The, the inference there is that if you know this and you don't do it, cursed are you. <laughs> do we do what we know? If you know these things, well, I know I should do that, but, you know, your butt can get you in trouble. <laughs> Amen. If you know that he's telling you to do something and you don't do it, and then you want, I don't know why I'm not blessed. Well, maybe it's because you're not doing what he's already told you to do. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a lot of us. We know the word. But do we do it? And until we do it, we can't expect to be blessed. Amen? I may know how to work out. Watch workout videos. Buy some workout clothes. <laughs> Tennis shoes, sneakers, whatever. Got a membership. But if you don't go, you'll never know the benefits of working out. It's the same thing in the Lord. Faith without works is dead. This week, I want to challenge you to exercise the golden rule. That might mean helping, you know, shoveling your neighbor's driveway. Amen. I hope you're my neighbor. <laughs> but, you know, but actually, the other day, I had, my neighbor did come over. I had, you know, 
I've got to let you guys go. But I uh, had a, uh, bought a snowblower, and first time I had it up, it was working fine for a while, and then it stopped working. Anyway, I figured out what was wrong with it, so it's working again. But when it broke down, it's in my driveway, my neighbor, he just, he's out there and doing his, and he just kind of comes across the street with his deal and starts, you know, clearing my driveway. I thought, wow, you know, why don't you do that all the time? No, I just, I was a... <laughs> It was a real blessing. But it's like, you know, little acts like that. Washing someone else's feet. It was a real blessing. The golden rule is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It's also in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. You know it. Do unto others as they, you, have them, you would like them to do unto you. And Jesus said it this way. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them. And I would add, do unto others as Jesus does unto you. How does, how does the Lord treat you? Then he says, treat other people the same way. But they don't deserve it. Did you do deserve it? They didn't earn it. <laughs> Have you earned it? It's a liberating principle. Servitude. Kingdom servitude. Let us serve one another. Let us be servants of the Most High God. Serve others as Christ continually serves you. That's one of the things that Jesus taught the night he was betrayed. The other will be, have to do with um, our hope in Christ. And we'll talk about that next week. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that on the night that you betrayed, the things you thought were most important, Lord, we didn't cover all of them, but this was important to you, that you not only just said it, but you got up and demonstrated it. And how much more should we take heed to it? Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you for allowing us to be here. And bless those, Father, who are watching online, and just pray that you bless them, Lord, that your word that has gone forth will not return to you void. Be glorified, we pray, in our lives. There may be somebody here tonight or maybe watching online you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In fact, I'm watching the screen here to tell me there's already one salvation online. Amen. The people are hungry. Amen. Praise the Lord. People are hungry for the Word of God. People are looking for hope in the midst of darkness. A remedy. And so, welcome to the family of God. And if you... Uh, well, click on that button as you already have. Make sure you fill out the information so we can get uh, some free information to you. But it may be someone here tonight. You don't know Christ. And I'd like to give you an opportunity to open your heart to him right now by bowing your head where you're seated and saying, Lord Jesus. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe that you are risen from the dead. <laughs> Forgive me for my sins come into my life I receive you tonight as my Lord and my Savior in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening to today's episode on the CWCCS podcast with Pastor Al Pittman Now, check out Pastor Al's latest book As we roll into 2021 it's good for you to review your finances but what about your spiritual investments? Pastor Al Pittman's book about Revelation puts a bright light on a wise plan. There's a lot of people doing works in the name of the Lord, but there's to glorify themselves and not God. And our works 
will be tried by fire to see if they're of gold and precious metals or if they're of wood, hay, and stubble. God knows the real motivation of your heart. Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter, is a book that will take you through the amazing final words of the Bible. Remember, you can still adjust how your life ends. And he invites everyone to his wedding feast. The question is that mankind would have to answer every one of us here today, have we accepted his invitation? Get your copy of Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter, by Al Pittman, where you buy books or online at cwccs.org. Oh, this is what we've been waiting for, this glorious day, return of Jesus Christ to the earth. If you haven't already, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.